The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Production, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Tarano. Uh, good evening and uh, welcome back to Streetwise. You know, my guest uh, on the line, uh, I'll be talking to, uh, you can call in by the way, I'll give you the number in a moment. Uh, actually, he's an inspiration and I would call him also a role model. And, you know, in this country, it's up to you if you want to make it. Oh, of course, we always had adversities, but I have to tell you this. Uh, my guest overcame adversity. He was a high school dropout. He had a learning disability. Born and raised, like I was, and I guess in a, a mob, gangster-infested area of the city of New York, uh, Brooklyn. You know, not that all of Brooklyn's like that, but the area that he came from. Uh, from all of that, uh, was appointed United States Marshal of the Eastern District of New York by President Bill Clinton. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome to Streetwise. By the way, before I give you his name, uh, his book is Adapt and Overcome. Pretty much what I just, uh, mentioned. My pleasure. Welcome to Streetwise. Mike, Mike Pizzi, welcome to uh, Streetwise. And thank you for having me. Uh, uh, great. Let's talk about that. Now, of course, I think what helped you out, what helped out a lot of uh, young people, you had your choice when we were kids. You went to the service like you did. You went to the tough service. You went to the uh, United States Marine Corps. Or you went to Rikers Island. You choose the, uh, you, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you chose the United States Marine Corps. Let's talk about that. How did, how did that come about? You, obviously, we, you and I and many of Others like us could have went either, either or. Well, I wasn't doing very well in high school, and I I was uh, um, kind of taking to the streets. And I, I we, there was a draft on back then, and I just decided that I wanted to join the Marines. I my father's uh, very dear friend had been a Marine, uh, a, a heroic Marine. And I, um, I nobody in my family was ever in the Marines, so I mm. I decided let me. Let me do this. And I uh, I was in for the shock of my life when I arrived at Paris Island. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, so much tougher than I ever imagined it was going to be. Wow. But, uh, well, we managed to survive and, and, and get through it and uh, went on to be, um, a, be, I think, a pretty good Marine. Mm. Yeah, four, but you actually did four years in the active service. I did, most of it overseas. Yeah. Now, isn't that amazing? We think, we think we're tough guys, you know, from the neighborhood we call something. And look what happened. You got a, a surprise like we all do in life, correct? Well, and, it was, I think, the, the biggest surprise and the one that I think I appreciated later on the most was the discipline. Yes. And I think most of, uh, of what you get when you're on Paris Island um, is the discipline. I mean, most of us uh, at growing up at the time that I was growing up really didn't have discipline. And uh, I, I guess, uh, I don't know the reason why, uh, I, I try to think about that later on in life. But that's what got me thinking straight. Mm. You, you know, you're right. You, to, to, 
uh, a lot of the problems that we have now with young people is that dysfunctional families, because in many cases, they don't, uh, you know, it's, it's the fact that they're not sure who their dad is, you know, and so there's, there's a lack of a, a father figure in the household, and they live with their mothers and grandmothers. There's a couple of generations of that, no fault of their own, but that's society or politics might have uh, played a role in it, but they lack that discipline that you just mentioned, you know. Uh, discipline is the key to pretty much almost uh, everything, and self-discipline like you have to well, this that's, day. That's, that's where I think I started to see the light. I actually... Uh, felt as though I might have had a, a reading disability. Uh, I know I didn't even do well on the on the test that they give you in the Marines before you graduate. Wow! Uh, and the reading part of the test, all the rest of it, I think I was uh, pretty good at. Um, and so the IQ end of this wasn't very high, but I realized it was because I had very limited reading comprehension, mm. and so to, to overcome that. I started to watch a movie and then try to read the book. And it made reading a little easier. And that's how I began to read and comprehend. Mm. And and I, I am currently an avid reader. I'll read at least a book a week. Mm. Uh, and that's that's the way. And, 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 and I do get a lot of my education watching good shows on television. Yes. Um, and, and particularly, you know, the History Channel and 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 uh, and some of those. I mean, I I just um, I'm, I'm in love with it. Hmm. But you know, like uh, a reading disability, and then you write a book, and you're author of a good book, uh, Adapt and Overcome. Now, Adapt and Overcome, not easy. You know, not easy for someone that uh, who who knows the English language backwards. Yet for someone that had a reading disability and to put a book like this together, but. I would imagine that you pretty much, uh, what's helped you is your own, your, your personal life is pretty much in the book. Well, exactly. And it, and I guess if you're telling the true stories, nothing really to remember. Yes. Um, and, and it, you know, the history is the history. Um, when I When I decided to write this book, I actually was thinking in terms of, Many, many police officers, many people in law enforcement have written books. The book I wanted to write was a motivational book yes. uh, for people who didn't have or didn't take advantage of a formal higher education. And I, I thought that I could put together some ideas and thoughts and measures that I took to overcome my lack of a formal ed education while I was in law enforcement. And that was that was my direction uh, as I went through the book, and I, I actually was trying to show a progression in, in my own education as I was writing the book. I don't know if I made that point, but that's what I was trying to do. Um, I, one of the things that I, I, I was trying to tell the reader is if you are not... Well, as well educated as many of the other people that you're working with, then there's measures you could take to make yourself more respected or more wanted. Right. And some people used to say, you know, uh, 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 a, uh, an evaluation by a superior is a, a, a popularity contest. Yes, pretty much. Well, well, you know what? 
supervisors generally like people that are doing the job. Um, you know, but let's say he's got a the supervisor's got a, a buddy who's a drinking is a drinking buddy. Yes. Okay, so how do I overcome um, my lack of being his drinking buddy? All right, <laughs> maybe I'll volunteer on a holiday uh, when everybody else is leaving. Mm-hmm. I'll stay late. I'll come in early. I'll do more. Uh, and so I make myself available, never uh, beef about an assignment, uh, take the dirtiest jobs, be there when I'm needed, uh, be there when most people can't get in. All of those little things that you do um, on your way up is giving your superiors the idea that you are an MVP. This is somebody I want on the job and working for me. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you don't have to have a law degree. Uh, in some cases, that's what they require. Uh, you're, you're low key, so what do you have to do? Well, exactly what you said. I'll use the analogy, because you mentioned law enforcement of a police officer. He wants to become a detective. What does he do? Exactly what you just said. I'll do more. So, right. and then you're seen, you're heard, you're recognized, and you know, so that's if you're looking, or you hit the books, like uh, you know the advice what uh, young police officers usually get: hit the books, hit the books. You know, become a become a supervisor, or if you like the detective world, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough; I was able to do both. I was a detective, and then I left, and like you, became the head of a couple of agencies. And we didn't have we didn't we didn't have that uh, drinking partner or drinking uh, <laughs> partner boss or a boss that was right. we did it uh, I guess you could say the hard way but that's the better way because in your book you, you can't change history like you said you know you have to write down your lies but if you tell it like it is I mean it's the, your book is smooth by the way it, it gives like I said uh, your to a degree, people who are interested, young people interested in law enforcement, uh, and you feel, well, I can't, I can't do it, I can't handle it. Uh, the book adapt and overcome. It gives you, it gives you a head start. I was lucky. I had a chief recently uh, that I didn't know, and uh, in the police department, and he came over to me in, in an event, a three-star chief, and said, "Lou, you don't know me, but." Uh, when I was a youngster, I drove five miles on my bicycle to buy your book, your and your partner's book. He was a cop buff. And here he is, is uh, James Waters. He's uh, James Waters right now. He's the head of this, uh, anti, the uh, terrorism uh, group in New York City. I met him at an event. So what a great, you know, what a great yeah. feeling for me, uh, Mike Busy, for him yeah. to come over to me and say, hey, like, uh, minds of Patton, right? When uh, when the Germans would come over, he said, when he defeated them on the desert, he said, Rommel, you bastard, I read your book. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> right. Now, so, I had opportunity uh, early on to spend more time in court because part of our duties required that. Yes. And I, and I knew automatically when I was sitting there taking care of the assignment I had, I was listening. And I was listening to uh, federal agents testify. I was listening to uh, prosecutors examine people and cross-examine people. And I actually developed the skill 
on how the proper way to testify was uh, just by listening, taking that opportunity and of, of being in court to learn the proper method. I knew immediately, soon as soon as one of the agents answered in a certain way, that he was in deep trouble. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I've testified a number of times in, in also in state court, and, and I t- testified one time in a, in a Queens grand jury hmm. uh, on a drug case. And when I was leaving and I was waiting for the elevators, some of the grand jurors were out in the hallway. Huh. And one of them came over and said, boy, I never heard anybody testify like you. Great. I was so proud, you know. <laughs> Great. I, I guess I was doing a pretty good job when I was testifying. You know, you you, you did your homework. Uh, yeah. I, I have to I have to say this. I I would bet that many a lot of people assumed that you were an attorney when you held this position. Well, yeah, because you went to uh, uh, yes, uh, yeah, the attorneys yes. used to co- the attorneys used to come through us. And and many a day there'd be a, a debate or an argument, which attorneys love to do. I tried never to get into an argument with an attorney, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but yeah. And my son is an attorney. Wow, uh, he don't argue with me though. Oh well, but uh, yeah. so just uh, yeah, it just uh, um, uh, was a fantastic experience, and I tried to use every availability of every asset that I had at my fingertips to extend myself and extend my training and and learn as much as I could. Um, I'll give you another example uh, maybe the audience would appreciate. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time that I went on the job, it was kind of pretty antiquated. We didn't even have radios, uh, communication. We didn't have, uh, we used our own cars. Uh, We really were nothing like what the dream of being a federal officer appeared to be, and I was a little taken back by it, but it also Mm. gave me the opportunity to get on the ground floor. And later on, when I became a a boss, um, we were going to have these uh, uh, inspections by uh, higher headquarters into the district operations. And I know one thing that I had read from a past inspection was they didn't have a proper uh, index system for the office. Uh, it, it didn't meet standards. So I said, well, how do I learn how to do that? So I went to the, uh, the government bookstore, and I got the Air Force manual on, on how to set up an mm-hmm. office, security, and uh, files. And so after I did this, uh, we had the inspection, and they wrote us up for having the best um, filing system of all 94 districts. And all I did was read one of the books. Well, you know what that indicates? It indicates you're a good administrator and manager. <laughs> That's, you know, some you know some people like you, uh, you don't need a law degree. You don't need a master's degree, but you've got management skills, uh, administrative skills. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for Rudy Giuliani. And his first term, his mistake was he wanted to make all his, he wanted his commissioners to all have law degrees and be attorneys. He flopped the first few years. He had so many problems. The second term, he hired me. <laughs> you know, and people like me who, who had experience, you know, like you, of course, and, uh, and you're better off with people like you. Now, I'm sure 
you like I did, you probably gave a, a lot of advice being a federal officer in your position to a lot of uh, attorneys in your in your time. Uh, Mike, you there? Did I lose Mike Pizzi? Oh, uh, I don't know what happened. I think I lost uh, my guess. So, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll call back. You know, I think. Uh, oh, I think I lost them. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what happened. I hope he didn't make an arrest somewhere. But what I'm going to do now, while I'm holding, on, I want to talk about uh, Mike Pizzi's book. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll. Uh, I'm sure he'll call back. Uh, you know. But anyway, uh, Mike's. Uh, by the way, I want to talk about his dad. His dad was a U.S. marshal, so that might have been uh, talk about ins- inspiration. Anyway, I'm going to open the phones anyway. Nine one seven. I'm sorry. Six three one eight 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 one one. Thanks, Brian. I, I was giving my number out. Six three one eight 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 one one. Right now, while I'm uh, while I'm on the line, I'm trying to uh, reach the former United States uh, Marshal of the Eastern District. But interesting. One of the things I want to ask him, you know, very. Uh, I guess you can call him. Uh, some extremely to the right, you know, with his uh, viewpoints, and most people in law enforcement are, you know, I think I got him back uh, to the right, and uh, I, I got Mike, I got, uh, I think I got him back. Do I got Mike, Mike Pizzi? What happened? You made a caller? <laughs> I could hear you, and I could hear, I could hear the other folks. The engineer. He, they couldn't hear me. Oh, okay. That that happens, you know. Uh, okay. Right. One of the things we, you know, when I was I was uh, talking, I was. Did you hear? I was doing a little a speech about you, by the way, until you call back in. I don't know okay. if you, you were able to hear that. No. Okay. One, but you did have an advantage. You did have, aside from the, the, the neighborhood, which was a disadvantage, I would think that you were born and raised in. Your dad was a U.S. marshal. Am I correct on that? No. Oh, no, no. Who, who was, my dad worked uh, at night in the bank. In the, he oh, was okay. never in law enforcement. Oh, never in law enforcement. I don't know where no. I, I, I don't know where I saw that. So you're the first law enforcement person in, in your family. Yes, I oh. had an uncle who was a New York City police officer, a World War II vet. Wow. And uh, mm. we, we kind of always wondered why he became a police officer. He was so talented. We thought he was going to be something else. Uh, you know, as a kid, <laughs> we kind of got roughed up a little bit by the local police. Um, not that we a were little such bit, bad kids. A little bit? <laughs> not that we were such bad kids, but maybe playing a little too much stickball. Mm. And the next thing you know, uh, they'd be throwing our bats down a sewer and cutting the Spaldines in half. And, yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, they wish they had kids like us today. You, you know, I was talking about that with... Uh, my executive vice president, Richie Ornstein, the former NYPD police officer, we were saying when the cop told you to move, you moved. And if if you were on the corner and he got a call, disorderly group on the corner, actually disorderly was what we were doing, laughing, joking, you know, nothing. Right. We weren't doing any uh, vandalism or anything with that. Right. He would throw his nightstick at you, if you yeah. recall, right? And then nobody touched that nightstick. You ran like hell. You know? Well, this was this. We had a, a, a unique capability where I came from on Thirteenth Avenue. Mm. Um, the six four, which no longer exists, was on the north side, and the six two was on the south side. I know. What you so did. when they the six four chased us off the corner, we went to the south side. Very good. <laughs> and then we thought we were geniuses. We turned our jackets inside out. I know. <laughs> 
but, but that didn't last long. But like you said, we really weren't doing anything. You were, uh, I was just telling an old friend of mine uh, how bad we, we, we could we have been. We were hanging around in an ice cream parlor. I, I mean, know. You know. And dancing. <laughs> I know that. Can you imagine that? It just, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, a, a different, uh, different uh, world today. Right. But what made you, uh, again, I know you're Marine Corps, and, and definitely that's, uh, I, I I do believe this, that it's it's. it's you really, it's tremendous amount of discipline, but not everybody, even though they were in the Marine Corps, not everybody, uh, you know, would choose law enforcement. Why did you, uh, with no family member in law enforcement, uh, Mike Pizzi, why did you choose uh, law enforcement? My, my Marine buddy, and uh, really my partner in the Marines, was a fellow by the name of Jack Brophy. He's, he's today, he's an attorney. But he had, he was a deputy marshal and I ran into mm. him by chance at another former Marine's house and we started to talk and he's telling me he's a deputy marshal. And I didn't know anything about marshals except I remember stories that some marshals were throwing old ladies out of houses and I asked him, is that what you're doing? And he oh. said, no, no, this is a different, this is different. That's, that's <laughs> so, a, by the way, that's city marshal. That's city yes. marshal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I know. He said, no, 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 we're United States Marshal. He said, we, we, we go after <laughs> fugitives and we do all these other things. Why don't you come down? I'll introduce you to the chief deputy. And that's how I got involved in, in, in meeting the chief deputy and, and, and uh, getting uh, him asking me certain questions. And then before you knew it, they put me on a job. Now, back wow. then, you got on the job before you went to have any training. Wow. So I was started on the job, and I was getting on-the-job training, and the, and the school at that time was only like two weeks. You know, if you could shoot a gun and know how to put handcuffs on somebody, you know, we, we, we took our classes in, uh, mm. outside the penitentiary in Atlanta. And in any event, once I got on, I, I had, I, I try to carry that discipline with me. Uh, I try to carry it in my life. So when I... When I got on to the marshal service, the only thing I felt was a little bit of, um, I didn't feel like I really belonged because most of the guys were former police officers. Uh-huh. And we didn't even have an age thing back then, so a lot of time, a lot of the fellas were old-timers. And you were getting some snide remarks, you know, uh, this job ain't on the level, you know, take it easy, uh, yeah. don't knock yourself out. Yes. And I, I kind of, you know, didn't. Uh, they were doing the right thing so I just kind of buckled down and I uh, had to tell a couple of guys off and then of course you get to prove yourself and uh, one fellow who I, I really didn't care for I, I thought he was staring at me because I felt uh, uh, a little uncomfortable and I th- he said what, what are you looking at and he tells me I'm looking, I'm looking out the window I told him well, look out the other window <laughs> So naturally, Brophy comes in and he tells me, "Hey, you can't do that." You know, I had been on a, I had been on a, on a construction job and a trucking job, so you know, brute force and and all of that yeah, was yeah. all I was getting to know. Right. So now I, I'm go- I'm trying to get a little more finesse into my life, huh. and so the next day, there's a brawl in the detention area, and I'm right by the door, and I go in, and uh, naturally, I I rescue. Uh, uh, this fellow who I had a little bit of disagreement with. Wow, amazing. And so we started to get a better relationship, and then they started to see that I was somebody they could count on. 
That's so that's where it all begins, and and I quite honestly was a little disappointed early on uh, because of uh, some things that had happened. You know, they sent me and uh, Brophy out on a job. Uh, I hadn't even received a weapon yet, mm. and uh, six guys bring in a man from Atlanta, whose uh, whose nickname was Jimmy Doyle, and we hear now that he's going to be somebody wants to murder him, and we take him by ourselves. And um, no backup, no radios, no nothing. Anyway, we, we get him uh, uh, into the jail pretty good. And then sometime at a later date and time, this man is murdered. Huh. And so it really was a serious uh, issue. But I could see that the management staff wasn't really paying attention to what we were really doing. Right. More or less, we were out there on our own. Uh, I love your uh, the, the story that of of this uh, latest uh, detective uh, who I think is a hero, uh, Street uh, Justice uh, the Bronx. Yeah, we were working up in Fort Apache mm. with no backup, <laughs> no radios, just the two of us looking for fugitives in those burnt out buildings. And yep. I keep telling Brophy, uh, if we get killed down here, nobody's even going to know where we are. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I know. So. So I try to change that when I got a little power behind me, and and so did he, and the two of us became chief deputies. You know, it was a struggle, but we we, we made our way up through the ranks, and uh, uh, we fought our way up through the ranks is what we did. And then we try to make those positive changes for all the people that followed us. Well, that that sounds like the adversity that uh, housing and transit police had. You know, years back in yeah. the New York City Police Department, there was always that competitive uh, thing, and uh, you know who feels better than, and you know, right. uh, if we do your job. I mean, it was just a tremendous uh, controversy in those days, and that's why there's right. that's why there's a one police department in the city of New York today. But let's talk about. It. Let's tell people. You know, like you mentioned before, you are uh, marshals, and you you. Uh, someone said, "Why are you going to go after that?" That would you see the city marshals, folks. Is uh, these are like civilians who happen to get somehow they get sworn in as uh, peace officers. It's all political. It's a money thing. They are signed by the courts. I got to tell you this: when I ran the sheriff's department in the city of New York, Mike Pisa, I took over a lot of their duties on my own because I was the chief of the department. I wanted law enforcement officers who had police training, you know, to do things that these uh, political hacks were doing, you know, in the city of New York. So, uh, you know, because people assume when I, you know, before I walked the beat in the city of New York, I was a New York City correction officer. Here I am interviewing myself. But uh, people were telling me in the family, oh, you don't want to be a correction officer? You go in people's homes and you take their kids away from them. You know, not true. They got mixed up with these other child welfare uh, groups. So that's what pretty much that the person was telling you about the marshal service. What I'm leading into, let's tell the people, they saw, obviously, a lot of people saw the fugitive, right? Right. And uh, that's pretty similar when, when you guys track down fugitives. Right. Right. And, uh, let's, uh, when, now, you've done that pretty much, i got to say this, you guys and U.S. Marshals, you're doing that all over the country, you track down fugitives, the most right. wanted and people like that, right? Well, j- actually, Brophy began... This task force concept, way back in the early days, 
uh, when we, like I said, we didn't have much supervision in that direction. But he was, he was kind of one of the smartest guys I know. And we put together a task force that went up into the Boston area. And, and we did a heck of a job up there clearing out some of the excess warrants that they had and finding some of the fugitives. Mm. Um, and so that began the trend. Um, and then in the middle of all of that, we got hit with, you see, the marshal, the marshal service has tremendous legal authority. We are also sheriffs in whatever county we happen to be working in. So we not only have the criminal authority, but they had civil authority as well. Yes. And so um, whenever there was an odd job that came up, the attorney general, who is our superior in the justice system, hmm. would give us the assignment. And so in the middle of what we're trying to put together in the way of fugitives, uh, in the middle of that, we get hit with uh supporting the anti-air piracy program. Mm. And so now we take over what now became TSA's job. Yeah. Uh, I had 15 people <laughs> for, for LaGuardia and Kennedy airports, mm. 24-7. 15 people. Amazing. So, I mean, it was crazy, but we were doing it. And wherever we got pushed into the, the service, we did it. We performed. We even flew on some of those aircraft that may have had a threat. Or may have had a passenger that, the, wow. that they didn't particularly care for, and uh, even in the air, yeah. I made it. I want, I want to talk about that. The marshals on the planes. Mike, we're going to take a break now. Hang in there. I'm going to open the phones. By the way, uh, Mike Pizzi. Okay. Uh, Mike Pizzi's hanging on six three one eight 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 one one. Hang in there. I'll be right back in a couple of seconds. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240-DF-FM 95.9 Freeport, New York. We served our country like those before us. You know, it was a dangerous era. All of Vietnam was dangerous. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. We came back and built lives. As time went on, we faced new challenges and found support to handle them. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor... I started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one counseling. At MakeTheConnection.net, you can hear our stories and find tools and services available to you. I'm back. I'm back with my guest, by the way, uh, former United States uh, Marshal, the head of the Eastern District here in uh, New York. Great inspiration, great mo- uh, role model. Uh, if you people out there are young people pretty much talking to uh if you're interested in law enforcement or if you're just interested in, in, in law enforcement and what they do, adapt and overcome. It talks about uh, my guest, Mike uh, Pizzi, you know, his struggle to get where he uh, was and and be appointed by the president of the city of New York, to, uh, city of, sorry, president of the United States of America to, to uh, reach that uh position uh yeah mike let's explain the difference like you mentioned uh, civil and criminal in the uh in the marshal service well uh, the the u.s marshal uh, began with the original 13 colonies and so they had given the marshal uh, a wide authority and probably the most authority of any law enforcement agency in the united states mm. there isn't anything that we can't do based on the law we also had civil authority which gave us the same powers as any sheriff in any county we happened to be in 
So when the attorney general, who was our superior, would find a hole anywhere in law enforcement, he'd shove us in there. Mm. So like the anti-air piracy program, we were there until we were properly relieved. The witness security program, mm. which was initiated by the department, and we ran it and still run it. Uh, the seized asset and forfeiture program. Right. Still, so all of those programs, and then it evolves into the fugitive task forces that are now all over the United States. So let me just go back to that for a minute. Uh, We were talking about the fugitive movie. Right. So when Brophy puts together this first concept, it's followed by a federal uh, one in um, California, which nets, I don't know, somewhere in 30, 40 uh, federal fugitives. Then they do one in Florida, which nets maybe 60 or 70 federal mm. fugitives. Then at that moment, Howard Safer had transferred, uh, you remember him from being a well, I was commissioner gonna, in New York City Police Department. I, it's one of my questions. Did you ever work with Howie Safer? Oh, yeah. The, like, uh, former U.S. Just, yeah, former marshal he, like you. Yeah, he was a he had been a DEA agent and, yeah. a, and a boss in the DEA. Right. When he transferred to our agency, I, I thought it was the greatest thing that could have happened to us because oh. he was a tough boss. Yes, and we needed one. So, so he puts he asked me to help him put together uh, a program where we were going to ask New York City and other agencies within the city to join us, and we would take their most violent felons along with the federal fugitives, and put together this task force and and go out and arrest anybody who was wanted, who had two convictions wow. and who was known to carry a weapon. And that was the target. And, and so they, at, at a meeting with all high-ranking officials in the city, they asked me what I thought we could do in the way of numbers and arrest. And I said, I will do 300. And everybody in the room just jumped up. No, you're not. What are you, crazy? <laughs> we'll never find 300 fugitives. I say, I think I got this down pretty good. I held my ground. At the end of the three-month period, we had 303 felony arrests. Wow. All people wanted who had two convictions and known to carry weapons. Mm. So uh-huh. it was it was called the Fugitive Investigative Strike Team, FIST-3. That began and then was followed up by a number of them all around the country, and then they put together these huge task forces and regionalized them, and that's what you have today. Well, let's talk about that because uh, uh, you could be a fugitive from uh, a, a local or, or, or state uh, police agency. When does it come federal and you guys and the uh, marshal service? When do you guys get that uh, job? We, so to speak? we don't. We don't take the local fugitives unless it's part of the task force. Got it. So if you if you're a member of the task force, you can bring in cases from your own uh, county or wherever your facilities are. Right. And we would take that as part of the task force. Hmm. When I was a boss in Brooklyn, in addition to running these major task forces regionalized, I ran what was called the Brooklyn Task Force, which Uh was our office and the New York City Brooklyn uh, Fugitive Squad, Uh. uh, uh, which they assigned a lieutenant, 
and his squad. As a matter of fact, I was a became a pretty good friend of mine. Uh, his name was Incontrera. And then we, we added Queens to it. So we had two task forces in addition to our own fugitive squad. And uh, everybody got a great benefit out of it. And it was nothing better than working with New York City police officers. Uh, we had, uh, you know, all the, all the backup that we could ever ask for. And uh, we were always doing a good job. As a matter of fact, we did one, at the end of one of the programs that we were running, we did a sting operation. You may have even remembered it. We, 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 we may believe that we were some uh, one of the casinos in Atlantic City, mm. and we sent a bunch of flyers out the fugitives. Yes, and, uh, I do. They all start calling in, right? And we had a bus <laughs> located over at Hanson Place, uh, and and uh, as the fugitives arrived, we <laughs> they went to the to the booth. We had a number for their case. We could identify them by photograph with a pair of binoculars, send them down to the bus. When the bus opened, it was like a Venus flytrap. Very good. I know. And then they went. So that day, we arrested about 25 fugitives in a matter of hours at a cost somewhere down around $40 an arrest, when usually a fugitive arrest on a federal level is tens of thousands of dollars. So we were clearing the streets, and, uh, you know, it started a whole bunch of these uh, sting operations. Wasn't that challenged? That was, wasn't that challenged I, by civil I, liberties? Uh, what I think, was, what I think yeah. happened was uh, the, I'm not going to name them, but the right. casino made a beef that, uh, that we used their name. Correct. And right. uh, mm. uh, to his credit, I think I would say if it took care of it for me. Yeah. Now, well, well, folks, when... He, when uh, when Mike uh, Pizzi talks about the Joint Task Force, that was uh, federal, uh, state, and, and local law enforcement got together, and they, and they had these different task forces. We were bumping into each other years ago, right, Mike? You know, right. different agencies, and then thank people like you in management and law enforcement said, "Hey, look, we got to do this together," because there were there were terrible times when we'd be doing an operation, and and you guys, the feds would be there, we would know, and we'd bump into each other, which was so dangerous, you know? Right. And worse than that, you would bump into the transit cops, the housing cops, the, uh, you know, different law enforcement agencies, because there was no communication, you know? Yes, and I think we all got a lot better at it. Uh, yes, uh, and, yes. And learned how, how to operate without stepping on any toes. Mm. Uh, and bumping into other people's operations. Well, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, we were not as sophisticated back in the early days as we later became. Well, guys like you, that's the reason why. I got Richie on the line. Richie, you have a, a question for, uh, or a statement for Mike Pizzi. Yes. Uh, Mike, very interesting and appreciate everything you have to say. At the beginning, you mentioned that you had a reading disability. Uh, exactly. How do you define that and how did you overcome it? Hmm. Okay, so what I describe as a reading disability is that I'd be reading something, what I was required to read, but I never could comprehend it. Uh-huh. So if I read it and you asked me a question about it, I couldn't give you an answer. Uh-huh. And I, I thought it was because I didn't have comprehension. I didn't have any reading comprehension. And the way I overcame it was to learn how to read by starting to watch movies and then get the book about the movie. I could tell you the name of the first book. <laughs> what? It was, uh, was uh, um, um, From Here to Eternity. Wow. 
and, and and another 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 one. Mm-hmm. And of course, I I was watching stuff that I really wanted to uh, right. to, to to see, and, um, and never so few. There was a Frank Sinatra movie, mm-hmm. never right. so few. Where I think he plays a, a Gurkha, uh, but but. That one, I watched the movie and then I read the book and I started right. to understand it a lot right. better. So that's how I got Incredible. my. Incredible. And then I knew I learned how to read. At uh-huh. one point in time in my life, when I took a book that I didn't like and didn't want to read and read it and understood it. Yes. Interesting. Excellent. Mike, I just want to ask you did you have a mentor or anybody that you looked up to? In other words, if you were into fitness, you may look at Charles Atlas. Or Jack Lane is a mentor. Uh, who was yours? If my anyone? my mentor was my Marine buddy Jack Brophy, uh-huh. who was I thought one of the smartest guys that I have ever met, and I still do. Great. He's an attorney today, right? And and he kind of understood what I was lacking, and actually got me a book called Word Power Made Easy, wow. which I was secretly trying to read so that nobody in the squad room watched me. Very good. <laughs> Well, wow. I'll tell you, you have a great motivational story, and I wish you the best of luck with uh, Adapt and Overcome. It sounds great. Oh, good. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. Wow, great. You know, I, I thought you might say J. Edgar Hoover, Mike, is it? <laughs> no, no, you know, as I got older, I kind of uh, learned a lot more about those folks, yes, and I wasn't yes. all that crazy about them. Yes, I, uh, I, I was, yes, there were, yes. There were a lot of times when... I thought that they, you know, were trying to push their way into things that we might have been doing yeah. and wanted credit for everything. And I'm like, uh, are you got to be kidding me. You know, you know, the battling when you're in the federal government is for the money. And, yes. you know, you got to produce. And here, if you're not producing, what are you going to ask them for the next time? Wow, you're giving secrets and, away, you know, truthfully. People don't realize that. You asked, like you said, the asset and forfeiture a moment ago. I'm, yeah. familiar, I'm familiar with that because I did that for the city when I ran the sheriff's department. So well, know. you know, the asset forfeiture yeah. program has some some issues where if there's drug money uh, seized, yeah. you could that could be shared between the agencies Correct. for the purpose of fighting the war on drugs. And so I, there was a time when I was actually in the Southern District as a chief, and 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 the program was being run, and I was the uh, the tri state uh, man in charge of the marshals. Wow. So I I went in and I I was battling for money, and it was between one of the other federal agencies getting an additional computer or us getting an undercover vehicle. Right. And I'm like, uh, guys, we don't have one. Could your mind just stepping back? You know, it was almost like yeah, on my hands and knees and right. begging for it. And then one of the agencies says, listen, you could have some of my money. You ah. need that vehicle. Wow. Uh, Mike, hang in there. Don't lose the. Uh, yep. I'll remind you about it, but I have a caller on the phone. Yep. Uh, Greg, you have a question for uh, Mike Pizzi or uh, statement? Yeah, no, I'm just um, flicking through the dial here on the radio, Wow. and um, I hear uh, Mike's voice. Oh, and, very uh, good. Listening here, and uh, just uh, oh. everything he was telling you is uh, right. spot on. Right on. So uh, oh, so what's the connection between uh, Greg, you, and uh, Mike Pizzi? You recognize his voice. I, rec- I worked for him. Oh, he well, what boy. the heck? Why don't you say it? You hear that, uh, <laughs> Mike? Look at that. Yes. Mm. The, the guy is phenomenal. He yes. He taught us so much. 
Yes. And, you know, I remember when I first came back out of the academy, he said, forget about everything you learned down there. Now I'm going to teach you the Brooklyn way. The, the real way. <laughs> the street. The real way. The real, yes. That's like in the police academy. He's an amazing individual. And um, he, he was just uh, so astute. You know, he was just um, Top had notch. a knack for administrating. And, administrating, yeah. Yeah, you know, the administration part of it. And not well, only that, he was just a street smart cop. Yeah. That's what you so, need. You need to, you can get a street smart uh Cop, uh, and you could be a good manager. You, you you can't you can't lose with a, a leader like that. True. No, it's very rare you get both. And you you know? you're, you're absolutely right, Greg. You, you know, I'm yeah. glad. Okay, uh, you want to say hello or say something before? Yes, you... Thank you, Craig. I owe you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I wish you would have given me a heads up. <laughs> wow, Craig, thank I, Craig. I knew that voice. I couldn't miss that voice. Oh. And um, you know, you captivated me with the stories. Wow, Greg, the best stories. Greg, how and, could um, Mike? I you know when I retired. I always tell everybody I learned a hell of a lot from you. And when I went into the regional task force and became an inspector in it, I always carried all your knowledge with me. Right. And I thank you for that, sir. All righty. Thank you. Greg, thanks. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Greg, you, you know. You guys we, later. We, you know, we talked about Mike. We were like the caller. Richie asked you, you know, who was your inspiration? Uh, Greg called up and so look, look, look at the legacy that you left behind you. You're an inspiration for a lot of the guys that came in with you or after you. You know, I tried is, my best, and you know, I can see that. I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a little, a, a fair story. I wanted my guys, who the people that I was training and worked for me to get ahead as much as they could. And so there were tests given around this time for promotion, and people were leaving, and it was was hard to keep a core group of people. But the harder they made it to get promoted, the more effort we put into it. So I would have classes at the end of a work day, and we'd record them so that the people that were continuing to work and couldn't make the class could see it at their leisure, just related to taking the test for promotional purposes. And I had probably the highest number of deputies who were promoted all around the country. Wow. And when when I was reaching the very end of my career, I don't think there was any place I couldn't pick up the phone and call one of my former deputies and tell them, this is what I need <laughs> right. No, I understand. That's, that's, that's the way. That's the way. They, when you say we call it the business, that's the way the, bu- the business. Uh, yeah. Pretty much yeah. is. You know. And uh, yep, yeah, I still do that in some areas where you still there's still some people around that, that we can talk to. You know, that right. would give you a, a hand or an assist on something that you know. Right. My, right. So uh, now I tell you, I think I might have even helped your sheriff's department. Well, I worked. I'll I was going well, to mention that I, I did some joint operations with. Uh, with ATF, well, I, I'll tell you the ones yes. that I was I, I was thinking of. Yes, when a, when somebody had a federal uh, civil judgment mm-hmm. and they wanted to execute on it, I would direct them to the sheriff's office, mm-hmm. and I would say, take your judgment, get an execution in the county Great. where the judgment is, and take it to the sheriff. Mm. You'll do better with the sheriff than you'll ever do with a U.S. marshal because they know that how to handle that business. Right. We, I found it out when I took over. There was a, you know, there's a manager or a chief in each borough, 
Sepp Staten Island, if I recall, he was a captain. But in each borough, there's a chief of the uh, sheriff's office, and I was the, right. I was fortunate enough to be the chief for the chiefs. Right. You know, and right. but I did, I did. Uh, but again, my my police and correction background, it it it, it was. Uh, how do I say it? it was a uh, it was uh, wasn't that hard for me to work with. Uh, uh, and, and in fact, it was it was great to work with guys like you, uh, right. Mike, in those days. You know, with the right. ATF and. You know, and the joint uh, task force, and, and, and you know, you have you well, have so much in common. You know, well, we we tried our best to take care of people, uh, and and with all the interagency action that right. we had, especially on the Fed side between mm. each other, I ran a detention uh, area in, in in the courthouse. Oh, mm. and in the past, in those days, um, if an agent arrested somebody and uh, then. They'd have to go get them again in the morning. Right. These guys have been out all night, and they'd have to stand by in the detention area until their case was called. Mm. Well, I put an end to all of that. We'd pick up their, uh, their their safekeepers, so to speak. Right. We'd bring them in and with the with the regular load of prisoners that were coming in for court, and then <clears throat> we'd get a phone number from the from the agent. As long as we could reach them. Uh, somewhere in the building or somewhere near the building, we held on to his prisoners. In addition, uh, you're going to be a little shocked by this. We didn't have the right kind of facility in the basement of the building mm. to adequately handle as many prisoners as we were handling. And as when the uh, a huge number of newly arrived immigrants were being arrested for whatever smuggling dope or whatever they were doing, uh, some of them started to show signs of TB. Wow. Now, instead of having everybody standing by in a detention area and, and risking all the agents, we minimized that. And many of our deputies were showing uh, a positive reaction wow. until we got a better ant handler and got some fresh air being blown in it. It cost a lot of money, Amazing. but we did it. Let's talk about my people uh, again, like people. Uh you mentioned before the confusion between different uh, uh, city marshal and federal marshal. Right. Just uh, what are the uh, jobs? You know that I mean, uh, do you, you guys do uh, not it's the marshals that are on the planes, same agency, well, here, correct? Here, here's the one. Well, the ones that started out on the planes were everybody, uh-huh. uh, but they, that part of it was run by the FAA. They those were deputized people, but they were not deputy U.S. marshals working uh-huh. for us. In the, in, in the early stages, they were, but after after that, they were not. Here's right. the way you can understand who the marshal is. We are the enforcement arm of the Justice Department, and our duties are directly related to courts, so that <clears throat> if a guy's arrested, he's in the custody of the marshal all the way through until the time he reaches uh-huh. his place of incarceration at the end of his trial. And if, if, if a court order comes down from the judge, it's our duty to execute it. If uh, a warrant is issued for somebody who was out on bail and failed to appear, it's our responsibility. Wow. If a guy escapes from a prison uh, because he was put in a prison by court order, right. it's our responsibility. If, if uh, any court-related... Parole. So a guy gets out on parole, which used to be in the old days. You don't have too many paroles anymore. Right. Probation. 
That's all our responsibility. So mm. the core of the job, and you might look at it from people that understand a little bit better about district attorneys, we would be considered more or less the district attorney's office right. enforcement end. Mm. And so that's where the core of our responsibilities was. Also, anybody threatened or needed protection. Right. Uh, and so that's where we, uh, where, where the core of our authority and job is directed by the attorney general. Wow. So uh... now, if there was a court order, for example, that uh, like what happened at, out at Wounded Knee in the Dakotas, right. um, where, where uh, a group of Indians had taken over the hamlet uh, on the Indian reservation, they called out the marshals to handle that. Mm. So we, we arrive in, in the Dakotas and try to keep separated these two groups of American Indians who were really at each other, right. and at the same time maintain control. It was the longest civil disorder in the history of the United States, mm. wounded me. Terrible. It's, it's really uh, a scar in the our and history. A, and, a, and a hardship on uh, yes. and a hardship on everybody who had to go there, and, know. you know, the freezing weather, foxholes, you know. Yeah. Some people were injured, uh, but, but that's, what, that's what we do. Yeah, that was and a black I, eye in history. See, uh, I could see mm. even in today's uh, Justice Department uh, a bigger call for the marshals to be more involved. Huh. Well, you, uh, witness protection, did you mention that? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 that. we started that program. Yeah. We used to, believe it or not, in the early stages of that program, uh, we used to protect people in their homes. Yes. Around the clock. <laughs> and then, you know, we... We kind of figured this is crazy, right? And so, and that was another program, by the way, that my buddy Jack Brophy uh, kind of put together and formulized, and 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 that was uh, uh, a heck of a program, it's still in effect today, and I think it's a heck of a tool for the Justice Department. Yeah, I would think so. You know, so and then before they had uh, what they called U.S. Attorney investigators, uh, we had in, in Brooklyn in particular a special services squad. And we were doing investigations, so there wasn't anything we couldn't do. Um, and you ask us, and we do it. Uh, I, I, I give you one other, just quick example. There came a time when uh, the United States Attorney's Office didn't feel that they were getting a great response from the agency that was supposedly looking for a fugitive. So I, they asked me to look for him. I give me a letter. Uh, which gives me the authority. I take the letter and we go out and we find the fugitive. Mm-hmm. So that's where we really stood out. And I mean, these were some of them were high, very high profile cases, and some of them ended up uh, being really good arrests. I got to ask you this. Now, you were, your position is an appointment by the President of the United States of America, correct? After I retired. Yes. I was appointed. I'm one of the few Correct. people to come up through the ranks and get that appointment. Yes, I know. Uh, and interesting because you are appointed by Bill Clinton. Is that correct? Correct. You're, While oh. I was a registered conservative. Yes, that's interesting, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I listened. That was he uh, didn't stick down the party lines then, which they which usually happens, you know. And I... See, those appointments basically come from the senator, the United States senator. Yes. And at the time, Senator Moynihan and, 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 uh, was, was the person who was going to make those appointments. Yeah. And Senator D'Amato on the Republican side. Correct. So they, 
they would they had a, a an in-house rule you know two from the party that's in power and one from not yeah. but but with <laughs> me uh the senator was asking me questions and i kind of wanted to tell him I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> I know. Like, I was going to mention. You any, yeah, Pat, uh, Pat uh, Moynihan. Uh, yeah, Pat, Patrick Moynihan was a Democrat United States senator. Alphonse Amada was a Republican U.S. Yeah. senator. So yeah, yeah, well, they had a great relationship, mm. and I I knew both of them. But, well, but Senator Moynihan said, "I'm not asking you any political questions." Great, great, good. So but, that turned out great for me. It is, because what the heck, has nothing to do with party lines, what you said before. You can do the job, you've done the job, and they're talented and experienced people like you. And uh, I, I was glad to uh, to see that and know that, you know. I appreciate it. You know. So the, we the, did our best. The book, okay, Adapt and Overcome. How can somebody, yeah. Mike Peasy, how can they get your book? Is Amazon? Well, it's on Amazon. Amazon. And, uh, it's on Amazon, and if you have the... Uh, the, the Kindle app, you can get it for free, uh-huh. um, but it's Mike Pizzi, United States Marshal, Adapt and Overcome, and uh, the the, the uh, printed copy is uh, $15. Okay. And, uh, all right, so you're on Amazon, and uh, uh, you, is there is going to be a book, too? Do you know? I don't think so. I... <laughs> Okay. This was a tough. I, I was going to say that this was tough enough. It's tough. You know? It was tough enough. It's tough enough. You're not going to do any more big jobs. Your whole your whole life experience is in that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yesterday, I was on the Gulf of Mexico with a fishing pole in my hand. Oh, so. that's good for you. Yeah. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> thank Mike, you, Mike. You deserve it. I want. I want to. Uh, two things. I want to thank you. Of course, we're doing a great job, and and I know uh, we both worked with how we safer. Um, Mike Pizzi, thanks for being my guest and. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, and, and the book is Adapt and Overcome. Mike, Thank hope, you very much. Uh, hopefully, you we'll, hopefully we'll talk down the road. I'm, I'm around. You're around. So am I. Okay. Th- okay thanks. Uh, thanks for listening to Streetwise. And don't forget, tomorrow is the big football game. You know, we know. I don't have to say that. You know what the game is. This is uh, uh, Lou Tolano. And I'll catch you later. been listening to Streetwise on the station that serves your community, WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9.